for each of you. I know it's a little bit different singing, but still, you can't mess up in Christ alone. It's just so good. Uh, it takes care of itself. Um, but I realized it, a few years ago that we must have sung this a whole bunch. Uh, Asher was probably three or four years old, and I had asked him to clean his room. And, uh, and I walked by his room, and I heard a protest in song. He was singing, I do not want to clean my room. This is not what I want to do. And as soon as I heard the tune, I thought, okay, I think we've worn that out in a poor boy's mind. Um, so I can't sing in Christ alone without first starting in my mind. I do not want to clean my room. Um, so there we go. Well, um, many of you were uh, were expressing how, how helpful the passage was last uh, Sunday. And I actually said to a couple of you, you know, that's really the most frustrating thing is I only had one week to preach it. I wish I'd have had about four. Um, well, it looks like God has given me two. <laughs> so if you'll turn back to Luke 17, I'm real excited to look at this passage again. It's actually a real treat to be able to do it because it's already in your minds. Um, so it's going to be helpful to be able to draw upon that. Um, so Luke chapter 17 verses 11 uh, through 19. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When we saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was not one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well or your faith has saved you. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. It is what we gather around. It's why the very center of focus in our uh center of worship here in the gathering place together here it, it's this pulpit it's because not because we trust in any person standing behind the pulpit but it's because we we trust in the word that comes forth from a pulpit from your word father i pray that there will be a deep thankfulness in our hearts that resonates from just the fact that we have been given your word. Father, I pray that we would just be thankful that you have revealed yourself to us in so many ways. Father, I pray that we would be thankful for the fact that you've blessed us in so many ways. And I pray that there would even be a tinge of thankfulness for the ways that you've broken us. Father, I pray for most of all, 
we would be thankful for the faith that you've given us to see and believe. We ask all these things now to you, Father, trusting them to you and trusting your spirit who gave his word. Amen. Well, um, I'm not sure of a lot, but I am sure of this. don't know why, but I know the Lord has ordained for us to hear this text twice. I'm sure of that. Um, that is the sovereignty of God. We are hearing it twice, so I know that he ordained it to happen. Why? I'll leave that up to the Lord. But um, as we look at this text, as we walk back through it, um, it, it says there again that on verse 11, I'm going to read 11 through 13. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 leopards who stood at a distance, lifting up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So remember, last time we talked about the map, I'm sure you all studied it all week, so you've got it just memorized. But big picture, we had Galilee is up in the northern area. And then uh, down at the bottom area is Jerusalem, or Judea. That's the area uh, down there at the bottom, the southern region. But in the middle, between those two, is the area of Samaria. And we talked about last time how the Samaritans had grown a certain disdain, or sorry, the Jews had grown a certain disdain for the Samaritans, given how they'd taken their homeland um, and intermarried with their people. Um, well, I think it's interesting how he says here, he makes sure we know all three regions. He makes sure those are quoted there. On the way to Jerusalem, well, that's the region of Judea. And if you hear Jerusalem, that is the heartbeat center of Jewish life. That's where the temple was. It is uh, the, the name itself is a combination. It's a, a Hebrew word combination of Salam or um, or, or Salem, or uh, more are often said in Israel, the greeting would be Shalom, which means peace. And then Jeru, which put together is the city of peace. So it is supposed to represent the city of peace. And really, if you watch and look through a biblical, you're watching a biblical narrative and history come about as you're going through the Old Testament, when Jerusalem is at its prime, when you got the, uh, the temple built and you have Solomon as king, that's when things are at its prime, right before it all goes downhill. Um, it gives, it's supposed to give us a picture of what life will, will one day look like when Jesus, the final perfect king, has his kingdom in the idea of a city of peace is really the idea of what will be the new heavens and the new earth for the people of God. So it, it should have a big significance. So Jesus is on his way from Galilee. What is Galilee? Well, Galilee represents the, uh, the northern part of Jewish life where Jesus grew up. This is his hometown. This is where Nazareth is. This is where most of the miracles that we hear about take place. This is where the Sea of Galilee is. This is where he calls his disciples, where he walks on the water. The story of the five, uh, feeding of the 5,000, all that's up in Galilee. So part of Jewish life down in Jerusalem, where Jesus lived among the Jewish life in Galilee. And by this time in Jesus's ministry, this is 
fundamental to understanding this text. Both the folks, the Jews in Galilee and the Jews in Judea, Jerusalem, they have rejected the message of Jesus. They've rejected the message of Jesus. And so now he is on his descent from Galilee to Jerusalem. And this will be the final trip because he will die on the cross in just a few months. So that's the background. And so here these 10 lepers are. And trying to connect this to, to what we talked about a few weeks ago with the idea of general revelation. So these 10 lepers, like all humans, they, all 10 of them, have received general revelation. So what again is general revelation? Why do we know, say, Tim, I don't know much about these lepers. How do you know that? Well, because the Bible tells us. It tells us that all of us, uh, Psalm 19 tells us this, Romans 1 tells us this, that all of us have experienced God's general revealing of himself. And what has he revealed? He's revealed himself in just the fact that you've seen a sunset. He's revealed himself in the fact that you've seen animals. That's an amazing thing. He's revealed himself in the fact that you have seen humans. I can remember uh, when uh, our kids were born, I don't know why, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I was always blown away by the fact that they had 10 fingers and 10 toes. Like I can remember, distinctly remember counting each of them on each of the kids. It just blew my mind. Like, there's 10, there's 10. Like, how does that happen? That's incredible. And God just gave it. Well, you have to, that's, that's God revealing something. And Romans tells us, it's telling us of his power. The fact that there's some, uh, some being who is eminently powerful. And it's telling us one more thing, Romans 1 tells us, of his nature. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it just means whoever this being is, he's got to be really great, really different than us. So all these 10 lepers, they have all of them have experienced that. They've also experienced probably in ways that many of us, of us never have the deep brokenness of the world. And that has been generally revealed. In fact, with news accounts nowadays, we actually learn more about the world's brokenness than probably many folks in, in human history. Um, it's wild to say this, but there's a, there's a weird dichotomy going on right now in human history. On one sense, you can find out instantly what's going on on the other side of the planet. I mean, instantly. Uh, you can know what's happening in Ukraine. Sometimes it's easier to find out about what's happening in Ukraine than it is in Winston-Salem, right? There's about, you know, a bazillion sites you can go to and find out information there. And you all got a couple places to get local news, right? So we have a ability to hear about brokenness across the world like we never have, but we're also in a time in the world, and I know it's hard to believe this, but it is one of the most peaceful times in all of human history. I know it's hard for us to believe, like, wow, this feels like not peaceful if you've seen the news lately, Tim. Yeah, but generally, when you watch, uh, if you think about world history, it actually is a generally peaceful time. So I say all that to say we know of brokenness. God has revealed brokenness. And to these lepers, he has revealed brokenness. Well, why does that matter? Well, um, we're going to see 
that when these things are put together, then you have to do something with this. You have to do something when you get this general revelation and you have to do something when you feel brokenness. And so what happens when we get this stuff is we, we get what is often called a natural theology. So there's a difference between general revelation and the term natural theology. So what is general revelation? General revelation is just the fact that it's there. It's been revealed. It's the sunset. It's human existence. It's the planets. Uh, it's all that stuff that just blows your mind. That's general revelation. Natural theology says, well, from that, can't we come up with some things? Even if we don't believe the things in the Bible, can't we know some things about our world and about humans? That's what you call natural theology. I promise you, well, I hope this is going to tie in. Here's, here's why this matters to us. Well, we live in the United States and we have a constitution and it was formed uh, by uh, a group of uh, very, very brilliant writers. And what do you think that they, uh, a lot of them uh, heavily believed in? Something called natural theology. So much so that we hear this in things such as uh, we have these, and you can say them, inalienable rights, these rights that can't be separated from us, right? Well, what is that? That's a belief that we actually have certain rights that are automatically given to us and can never be separated. The government doesn't have to give them. Uh, as soon as you're born, you have them. Well, who in the world infers something like that? How do you get to something like that? Well, they use something called natural theology. They looked at the world. They believed there was a God. They believed that he created humans. And they believed that there was a certain way that he created them such that they should have life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It's just one example of that. We also have this in other ways. You don't have to have the Ten Commandments hanging in a court building to decide that you don't want to allow murder, right? Natural theology. You can come up and say, you know what? I, I got to tell you, not, not, not even if I don't believe in the Bible, I believe that humans are, you know, they're so special that they probably shouldn't be murdered. Um, and you can hold to that. That's natural theology. So I say all that to say, I believe in looking at this, that you've got 10 lepers who've looked at the world. They've got a view of the world. They've come up with ideas about the world. That's just general revelation. So God has revealed it. And then all of a sudden, Jesus walks into their village. And the general revelation goes quickly to become special revelation. The general revelation becomes special revelation. So when Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, walked the universe, it was a special revealing of God to humanity. He said it again, when Jesus Christ took on flesh, was here in the universe, on this uh, on planet Earth, that was a special revealing of God to humans. So it would have been special revealing just the fact that they would have heard news about this Jesus. Because that's how we know about Jesus, right? How do we know about him? Well, we read about it here. We're hearing news. But they got an even further revealing, didn't they? They actually got to see him. They got to lay eyes on him. They got to encounter him. So now God has given them general revelation and he has given them special revelation in seeing Jesus. 
Hebrews chapter 4, we can see this. Um, I always think this is fun. We're not going to deal with it now, but go back and play this game. Look at Genesis, I mean, Hebrews 4, verses 11 through 13, and ask the question, is this talking about the scriptures or is this talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God? It says here, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Verse 12, you know this very well. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That sounds, we quote that all the time, is sounding about what? The Bible, right? And the word of God is living in that, right? But hold on. Verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, wait a second. Is this a scripture or is this Jesus? And I'll remind you, the first three chapters have been all about Jesus. So we get to Hebrews chapter four and now it gives us this. But we quote this all the time about the scriptures. Well, why does that matter? Why am I bringing that up? I actually think the answer is, is it about Jesus or is it about the scriptures? I actually think the answer is yes. It's about both. Um, and that's the whole point. Jesus, like the scriptures, are special revelation. They're the ability for us to hear a special revealing of God. I keep pushing that to say there's incumbent on us something special because we have had the opportunity to hear the word of God. There's something on us special, just like now these 10 lepers. They went from being... 10 who had had general revelation to now 10 who have had general revelation plus special revelation. So they experienced this. And here, and, and why does this matter? This is where I think is helpful about this text. With revelation, revelation alone brings judgment. Let me say that again. Revelation, divine revelation alone brings judgment. It actually hardens the heart. Revelation alone brings judgment. It hardens the heart. How does this work? We can see it all across the scriptures. We can see this all across our lives. We can see this with those that we love who have not submitted to Jesus Christ. It's because you have to give an explanation of the revelation. So God has made us as, as creatures who are reasoning creatures. Every single one of us is. We're made in the image of God. He's a reasoning person. And so uh, as a result, you have to give an explanation of the revelation. Sounds like a chant. Um, but you do. You have to, As you see this, you have to give an explanation. And the more revealing you see, the deeper, the more solid, the explanations have to get. This is why I think Darwinism is so, so troubling. The actual theory itself, it's not that troubling. Uh, I mean, you could just look at it as a scientific theory and you can either deny it or not. It's fine. That's not that big of a deal. You can say, I, I, I'll look at it in terms of a scientific theory and I'll decide on the facts that that, that looks plausible or not. Personally, don't find it very plausible. 
But here's why it's so scary and why I would submit to you why it is exact proof of exactly what I'm saying, that revelation brings judgment because you have to have explanations. So when does it come about? Well, it comes about in the 16th century. It comes about at a time when, um, uh, well, the beginnings of it come about in the 16th century. Um, and why does that happen? Well, what happens is we are beginning to get more and more scientific data than we ever have in all of human history. So we begin to figure out things like, oh, yeah, I guess this whole thing really does go around the sun. Huh. That's interesting. Right. Then we begin to fig figure out the human body, like how, how it all maps itself out. And is the more that we do this, what are we getting? We're getting more revealing. We're learning more about the things that God has done. And so what do we need? We need an explanation. And so what does the world do? Well, the world on its own comes up with an explanation as to how in the world this could all be. That's why it's so scary. The reason it is so scary is because people before were able to stop and have, they had to ask the question, but how did we come to be? Who am I? What does it mean to be a human? Those were questions we had to ask. But all of a sudden, Darwinism slips in what? It's nothing more than an explanation. And it's really scary. So this revealing, you've got a revealing happening. And, and as the revealing happens, something has to give. So just think about that. It's one of the it's what I think you're seeing happening. Jesus Christ shows up, he offers even more revelation to these folks. And so now one of two things is going to happen. If the revealing is accompanied by faith, there will be a submission to God. And if the revealing is not accompanied by faith, it will lead to hardness of heart. That's why revelation in itself is dangerous. Great example. Take who? Take exactly what you're watching this as we walk through Exodus. Pharaoh. What's Pharaoh's first response when Moses shows up? Moses says, look, Yahweh has got a message for you. He wants you to let the people go. And what, is, what does Pharaoh say? Yahweh. Who's Yahweh? I've never heard of this Yahweh. Tell me more. What? Yahweh. I don't know anything about him. Right? What just happened? Revealing. God is opening up more. He just revealed his name to Pharaoh. And what begins to happen? Every time God does more and more revealing. Ten plagues. Ten. Not two. Not three. Ten. And what happens every time? His heart just gets harder and harder. So the more revealing without the accompaniment of, of faith, it drives the heart harder. And instead of it being submission, it goes away from God. And so these 10, I'm setting you up for what I think is the explanation for how this all happens. You've got 10. They've experienced general revelation. They've now experienced special revelation. Something has to happen. They either have to submit in faith or they have to grow in hardness of heart. As we experience revelation, as we experience brokenness, and as you experience blessing, there's only one 
thing, there's all, you have to give an explanation for that. So let me say that again. There's three areas that God gives us that require explanations. Revelation, we've talked about that. Brokenness. So when things happen, they just blow you out of the water. It could be a diagnosis. It could be your own fallenness. It could be brokenness in the family. It could be economic, financial. Could be those when that happens, what's one of the first things you do? Well, you turn to God and you're looking for an explanation. That's that's what happens. That needs an explanation, but you know what else does too? Blessing. When God blesses us with things, we also need some type of explanation. So keep that in mind. Brokenness, blessing, revelation, need an explanation. So those are the 10, verse 14. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. And last time we talked about the logic of this, that they didn't, he didn't tell them you're cleansed. Now go to the priest. He says what? Go to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. So it shows us they had an actual belief about Jesus. In some way, they believed something about Jesus. So now we know that they have not just enjoyed the revelation of God, but now as they were cleansed, they have also enjoyed what? The blessing of God. This needs an explanation. So I think one of the things that is helpful as you think about the text is as you read this phrase and as they went they were cleansed stop for a second and ask this question is that a good thing for these lepers or scary thing for these lepers is it a good thing for them or scary thing well remember they weren't just cleansed of a cough they were cleansed of leprosy. And we've talked about how this separates them from all of life and it's incredibly painful, it's debilitating, all those things. So they're cleansed from leprosy. Is that a good thing or is that a scary thing? Well, there's no doubt there's a good part of it, right? None of us doubt that. But I would also submit if you don't get the fact that this is a scary thing and that the text shows it is a scary thing, you've really missed part of the logic of the New Testament. Why? Because now they've encountered God in the midst of their misery. Now they have gotten a solution to their misery. And that's where the scary moment hits. When God solves the problem of my brokenness, do I have any need for him? at all. When God solves the problem of my brokenness, will I have any need for him left at all? Beware of news of Jesus that barely mentions or, or doesn't at all mention sin. Beware of news of Jesus that barely mentions sin. Prosperity preaching mentions poverty, and the problem of that, that's brokenness. It's real. It's, it hurts people. Sickness, that's a real thing. 
people are really suffering from it, anxiety, depression, loneliness, family problems, all of these are problems. But prosperity preaching rarely mentions the degenerating problem, nature of sin. It's often talked about, put Monty Python here, as a flesh wound, um, but not a disease. Jesus came to heal our disease. He came to save. So here these ten are healed. Their misery's been solved. And what do you do now? Do you say, great, I'm good to go? Or do you walk away? And I think that is, that's, where they're, that's where the moment of clarity happens. There's that story. So this idea of Jesus, why do I connect Jesus healing in sin? Well, here's why. Um, early on in Jesus's ministry in Luke chapter five, very beginning of his ministry, early on in the healing. Do you remember there's the guy who's who's got the preachers like to call it um, four of a kind beats a full house. You got the full uh, house with all the crowd. You got the four friends and they take their buddy who's a paralyzed uh, individual. He's a paralytic. They take him up to the roof um, and they lower him down. And he's, he's laying on the ground there. And what happens? Uh, well, uh, all the people are looking at him going, you know, what is Jesus going to do here? And so Jesus looks at him and you remember what he says? He doesn't say. Get up and be healed from your paralysis, right? Um, he doesn't say that. Instead, in verse 23 of Luke five, uh, he um, he says to him, or sorry, verse 20. Uh, he said to him, after seeing the man's faith, man, your sins are forgiven you. That's how he heals them. And remember, the people look around and go, whoa, what did he just say? I mean, he's been walking around doing tons of healing. His news is spread. Everybody's like, he's the healer. That's his thing. He kind of heals people. It's cool. Let's bring this guy in here. It's enough that these guys took a took apart a roof to bring him down. He's the healer. We got that. And everything changes. He just said, what? He said, your sins are forgiven you. And he gives an explanation. Jesus, realizing her heart, says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He has said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man picked up his bed. Why does he do this? It's for one reason. It's to show I don't just have authority over bones and flesh. I have authority over the soul. I have authority to heal. Well, that news has spread. Keep that in mind. And now look at verse 15. Then one of them when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. I love the way Luke puts it for us. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned around. It's as if this account of what Jesus has done strikes the man. 
as if he realizes, now wait a second, wait a second. If he healed me, then he can save me. So again, 10 of them received divine, divine revelation. They've seen the world around them. They've had to deal with the fact that they're a leper. Why would God do this to me? They've had to deal with those questions. They've now seen special revelation in Jesus Christ. Nine of them say, problem solved, I'm good to go. And one of them is awakened to not have a hard heart, but instead to submit in faith. What is that? What is it that changes that? And you can see it in verse 16. This is a, this is a representative uh, a representation of his faith. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, given thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. He's an outsider. That's the point. Then Jesus answered, when were ten not cleansed, where are the nine? Was not one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus focuses on this foreigner. We don't like this. Stop talking about that like that, Jesus. That's rude. It's not correct. That's not how you talk. You can't keep pointing out that he's a Samaritan. He's a foreigner. Talk like that, right? We don't like that at all. But Jesus wants to make sure we get it. This is, this is what's going on. The other nine represent all, they represent the Jews in Galilee who've rejected Jesus. They represent the Jews in Jerusalem who've rejected Jesus. They represent all of them. That's how they have responded to Jesus. That's their response. Great, we'll take your healing, but we want nothing more of you. See you later. We're good. This one, this foreigner, represents a response of faith. He has seen God, heard of the scriptures, or seen the special revelation, if you will, through Jesus, and he submits in faith. What and where could this come from? Well, there's another very interesting account. It's in Luke 7, and I think this is the connection of what's going on here Verse 36 of Luke 7, this story. If you want to turn there, feel free. I don't have it posted here for you, but it's going to be 36 all the way down through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Sounds like foreigner language, right? Like, oh, come on, why you got to write that, Luke? She's just a woman. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. By the way, she's not, from the account we're going to see, she is uh, a, a prostitute. Um, and so we're going to see she's got some uh, perfume and stuff with her. That's one of the other things that many of the prostitutes did was sold perfume and things. Behold, a woman of the city was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment amazing risk for this woman. She could be killed on the spot for going to this man's house. And standing, verse 38, behind him at his feet, weeping. Just picture this woman. And the whole time you picture her, I want you to picture number 10, leper. 
And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. So she just sees Jesus and starts weeping. And she wiped them with her hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the, with the ointment. This is un, unbelievably transparent, humiliating. And now when this, the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You might as well sub that in with, he would know this is a foreigner. This is a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, answering, said to him, by the way, I absolutely love this. If he's a prophet, he would know what type of woman it is. He says that to himself. <laughs> this is great. Jesus turns and tells him what he is thinking. Now, you tell me which one's a better sign of a prophet. I don't think it took a lot to figure out what this woman was. That's not going to be hard. You probably don't have to be a prophet just in on the town gossip to figure that out. But Jesus turns and says, I know what you're thinking. I absolutely love it. So Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, so now this is what comes out of his mouth. Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Get it, right? So you got one who owes 500 denarii and the other owns, or owes 50. Ten times. Made for emphasis. He says, now one of you uh, gets your debt canceled. Which one of you appreciates it more? So this is, this is easy logic, right? So let's just say you've got a home mortgage just started, right? The very beginning of it. And you also uh, uh, bought yourself a used vehicle. You got a loan on it. Getting the new, you get in the mail a notice that somebody has paid off one of your debts. You only got two. You got the home mortgage and you got the car. Now, on any one of those, you're probably going to be appreciative. But let's be honest: when you're opening up the envelope to find out which one, which one do you want it to be? Right? Definitely the home mortgage. Right? So this is the point. You tell me, says Jesus, which one of those is going to appreciate this more? Simon answered. The one, I suppose, absolutely love that. Like, as if he's like, I'm sure he's tricking me on this one. I know it. The one, I suppose, for, for whom he's canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says to him, you're, you're right. You've judged right. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Because I see her. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, 
her sins, which are many. Now, all of a sudden, what did he just do with the whole he can't be a prophet? Because if he was a prophet, he would know about her what? Sins. Her sins, which are many, which I know about, Simon. <clears throat> Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, this is, I'm telling you, this always gets them upset. This is like one of the only, there's only a couple occasions where Jesus forgives sins in all the gospels. And these are one of the very, very, very few. Who is this who even forgives sins? Hold on, this is key. And he turns to the woman. Because he doesn't have to say this. This is for us. He turns to the woman and here's what he says to her. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, wait a second. We've heard that phrase before. We've heard him say to somebody, your faith has made you well, or also translated, your faith has saved you. We've heard that. Who's that? That's our same friend, the 10th the leper. Jesus answered in verse 17, now back to uh, Luke 17. And Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Here's the connection. All 10 of those men knew they had a 50 shekel debt. All of them knew. That was their leprosy. One of those men, by faith, saw that he had much more than a 50 shekel debt. He realized he had a 500 shekel debt. And that was his sin. He's the one who's left before Jesus. He's the one who is left with gratitude. He's the exact same picture of this woman in the Pharisee's house. The Jews completely rejected that about Jesus. They didn't want somebody to solve their problem of sin. Instead, they just wanted somebody to heal their problems both physically, politically, that's what they wanted. And Jesus is never going to be willing to do that. So as, as we close, I would say the, the thing that we want to pray is we pray for our world. Our world gives evidence of this like crazy. They see the general incredible revelation of God. They're trying to come up with explanations for it. They see the blessings of God. Like they, the blessings we enjoy in this country, it's, it's just unbelievable. We've seen the blessings of God. We felt, many of us have, the brokenness of this world. 
So we've seen the broken things. What is going to be our reaction to that? Well, brothers and sisters, that all comes down to saving faith. That comes down to whether God has been gracious enough to give us faith so that when we look on the things of God, it doesn't harden our hearts, but instead leaves us incredibly, incredibly thankful for the debt that we owed and for what has been paid for us. That's what saving faith does. It always responds with humility. So the last thing we should ever do is turn around and look at the other nine and say, you wicked, wicked people. There's no place for that. There's no place for that. I can promise you that that woman did not leave the house and go away shaming the Pharisees. She walked away thankful for saving faith to see and believe. And so I think that should be our attitude, a deep gratitude with all of it aided by deep, deep humility for what God has done. Well, as we close, I think we have a um, another song in the lineup, Jesus, Thank You. I think that'd be a fitting way for us to close. We can all just, um, uh, I'll pray for us, and then uh, we can stand together and sing. And then after that, that if you want to uh, get up and, and give us our benediction, that'd be wonderful. But let's, uh, let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, don't fully understand all that you do. We don't have to understand your reasons, but we can trust your hand. And your hand this morning, by your sovereignty, has led us as a people of God back into Luke 17. And just revisiting it again, I'm so thankful for the incredible gift of, of faith to see, to have eyes to see that you have been kind to us to deal with the debt of our sin. Father, I pray. I just pray that you would continue for us to be humble, thankful, realize our need for Christ, submit to Christ and pray for that. But Father, I, I pray also as we think of those that we love and we're not sure or we are sure that they don't have or do have faith. They've seen the things of God. They've been around the things of God and yet there's no acceptance of their need for a Savior. Father, we pray that you would be gracious to open their eyes to see, to turn and be healed, to have Jesus look at them and say, your faith has saved you. And Father, I pray that we would be gracious to our world around us. They frustrate us in the fact that we don't find them to be very thankful. They frustrate us to see the things of God and come up with alternative explanations. They frustrate us that, that they find the ways that we worship God to be unsatisfactory. Father, would, be, would we be incredibly gracious, ready 
to explain again the things of God. Pray for them. Submit uh, regularly uh, to explain to them the things of God. And then, Father, would you be kind to let them see their debt. Let them see how much their sin has put them in debt to the God of the universe. And would you allow there to be saving faith? We pray for it. We ask these things to you, Father. So thankful for Christ and his incredible, incredible gift of grace. And so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us in so many ways. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We can stand.